What is up, Gen X? Welcome back to the water cooler. It's good to be back with you after a holiday weekend, and I hope you enjoyed your weekend, and I hope you enjoyed celebrating the birth of our country and celebrating our freedoms, or at least the freedoms that we used to have and the great country that we used to have. But nonetheless, I hope you enjoyed your time with your family and away from work and and the pressures of of the day-to-day nonsense that we Gen Xers are, are no doubt knee-deep in. Uh, starting off uh, this week, one of the things that are on my mind, things that I keep seeing pop up, um, is all centered around critical theory and critical race theory in particular, but you know, cri- also a little bit of critical gender theory, which kind of makes you wonder, what is this critical theory nonsense? I'm hearing quite a lot of bit, uh, about it. And to be honest, to make me puff up my chest in some pride in our fellow Gen Xers, I seem to see quite a few hero Gen X parents step up and speak out against this nonsense. It's great, and it's it's great to see. I seem to see more and more of it. And it's a pretty diverse group of of folks that are standing up, you know, the... Black parents, white parents, mixed race parents, um, kids, it, it, you know, whether it's, you know, viral videos online or on social media, um, tapings from school board meetings, whistleblowers, um, you know, calling out corporations for the nonsense that that this is. It seems to, at least anecdotally, uh, be Gen X that's taking the charge on this, and I love to see it because this this whole gender theory, not gender theory, critical theory nonsense, is completely antithetical to everything that we as Gen Xers you know grew up with and and taught and believe. And it's just weird; it, it popped up so quick, so recent, and it seems to just be accepted as fact and is accepted as normal, or at least pushed that way. Um, you know, certainly by you know, higher education and, you know, uh, media platforms, social media platforms, and so on. But there seems to be a very growing and notable, loud groundswell of opposition to this nonsense. And I and I think we need to keep that up. You know, we, we Gen Xers need to continue to take that lead in shouting this down because it's this just has no place in in our culture, not even just in our, our cult country and from a political standpoint, just in our culture in general. Because, you know, I, for one, do not want my kids to go to school and be taught that their classmates are, by birth, by race, are inferior to them in any way. And I don't want them to learn that um, things like appointment making, working hard, organization, things like that are are not traits of their classmates based purely on race. I don't want them to learn that because I, I don't believe it. I don't accept it. And I don't want them to be taught that. I don't, I don't want them to be taught that they are subjugators and, and want to, you know, put down their classmates simply based on how they were born. I don't want them to learn that. I don't want them to to be pitted against uh, each other. I don't want them to try to take on the sins of you know generations before them. I, that's just not something I'm interested in. It's not a message I want them to hear. 
And it's great to see that there is a, a groundswell of support from, from the, our Gen X peers. I love to see it. And it seems to be getting quite a bit of pushback, or at least noticed by those in the media and and in other power positions. You know, I saw that uh, I think her name is Randy Weingarten, who's the you know, president of one of the largest teachers unions in the country. Um, she does not take kindly to people pushing back against you know critical theory and critical race theory. Um, I mean, in particular, she first starts off as, you know, denying that it's being taught and then tries to state that any any objections to this being taught in schools is is bullying teachers, which is just, you know, complete nonsense. You know, she says it's just this it's being pushed by culture warriors and and um it's it's bullying and 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 it shouldn't be allowed. You know, teachers should be able to be, you know, teach what you know, the unions say and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, it, whenever I hear this kind of nonsense, I always remind myself to take a step back. And when any, any radical, particularly radicals on the left and, you know, the, you know, the fascist uh, on the left, anytime you hear them phrase an allegation like this, or, you know, be critical of um, their opponents or, or people that they see as, as uh, obstacles to what they want to push. Undoubtedly, how they're framing people who are against them is gives you a window into what they're doing themselves. You know, so if, you know, she, you know, by saying, you know, this is bullying, you know, obviously this is you know, a way for, you know, teachers unions and, and other power brokers, you know, bullying you know, the, the rank and file parent, you know, bullying students, you know, browbeating them into, into believing what they want them to believe and, and you know, effectively just brainwashing, you know, she, she refers to them as culture warriors. Well, we're not culture warriors. We just believe that we as parents have the right to teach what we want our kids to be taught. And we have a right to push back against any teacher, any, any school for teaching things and exposing our kids to things that we don't want them to. I don't care who you are or where you are. That is a universal fact. I mean, it could be something that I'm fine with. But if you as a parent don't want your child to hear that and don't want them to learn it, that is 100% your prerogative as a parent. They are your child. You have their best interests at heart, not the teachers, not the schools. I mean, we saw the past year with COVID and, and the resistance of teachers and teachers' unions to return to school and return to the classroom and give the, their students what they actually need. So you know, they, they can spare me on the it's for the kids nonsense. They can spare me that they have our kids' best interests in heart because I just don't buy it. And I love seeing the pushback. So keep it up there, Gen Xers. Keep pushing against this. Uh, I mean, it's just it's Marxism in its purest form, you know, by saying that there are... You know, you know, certain you know classes and races of people who are inferior and superior to others and and we need to govern our our culture that way it's just pure bunk it's nonsense and i just as much as that seems to be pushing being pushed down our throats and down our kids throats we need to take the lead on this and push back and fight against it because it's absolute crap Okay, now that I'm off my soapbox on that, one thing that I found very interesting, I was you know thinking back on 
the time I spent away with the kids and, and going to, uh, we drove to Cedar Point in Ohio. And as we're driving out there, it's not the, the longest of drives from where we are. It's only about five to six hours, which in, as far as road trips go, is pretty mild. You know, anytime you can get someplace in, in part of a day rather than, you know, a full day or you're driving, staying overnight, then you know, driving again the next day, you know, it, it's, it's pretty you know, mild as, you know, from my experience in road trips. And, you know, Cedar Point, you know, Sandusky, Ohio, was only, it's only about, you know, five to six hours away. It's not, not super long. But during that drive, you know, we go through, you know, the city of Chicago and, and into Indiana. And we get on, I think it's uh, I-90 or 8090 heading east. And in through the bulk of Indiana and into Ohio, it's all tollways now and the interesting thing that i that i noted that uh, the tolls do not operate the way they do here in illinois i mean and you know, keep in mind that illinois is a state which you know when they're building out highways and expressways 50 plus years ago one of the ways that they they were able to fund the building of these expressways was to build tolls and the tolls would fund the building of of these uh, expressways and much like any government program, any tax, you know, that you know the government imposes, even when it's supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, uh, temporary, it never is. And the those temporary tolls have been here ever since the '50s, and and you know they're here today. And and the way they operate in Illinois is, you, know, you get on the tollway, depending on which exit you are, you, you you may pay to get on. And you know, the longer you drive, the more tolls you go through, and you may or may not you know, go through and, you know, toll on your way out. You know, it just depends on which exits you go and which, which, or how long you've been on, on the tollway. And, you know, when you're on the toll, you, you'll go through at least one, if, if, if not more uh, of tolls as, as you're going around, around the area. So that's what I'm, I'm used to here. Now, the, the the good thing, at least from, from a convenience standpoint, is our I-Pass here in Illinois works in the the I think speed pass in Indiana and what whatever they call it in in Ohio. So and mere convenience that was nice, but they work very differently in in those states. And you know, had I not had my I pass, what you need to do is you know you take a ticket from the toll booth when you get on, and when you get off, depending on how far you drive, that's what you pay in your toll. And every exit that you get off from these tollways, the, the tollway in, in Indiana and the Turnpike, Ohio Turnpike. If you, at that point you ever decide to get off the tollway, you are going to pay a toll from coming, you know, coming on, coming off. You're, you're going to pay no matter what, which is, again, that in its, on its face is different. But what I thought was very interesting is, you know, you notice because of that, anytime there was an exit... What you did not see, and what I'm used to seeing on road trips, whenever you get to to an exit, you know, an exit typically by some either some town or a road off to some town, and you see truck stops, you know, gas stations, fast food restaurants, diners, uh, hotels, whatever, you know, and any number of greater or lesser number of of those types of. Uh, services and businesses on and just about every other you know, on every exit 
you know, throughout the throughout the interstates, right? So if you're going, you know, west onto I-80 or 90 or 94, where, wherever you're going, that's what you, what you see. And then some sparser areas like Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, or whatever, you know, and you know, those towns are are again much much more sparsely populated, and the towns and and services are much farther apart. Typically, what you'll see is um, as they advertise whatever businesses and you know food and and fuel and at these uh, exits, they'll say something like you know twenty miles till next services or something like that. And and as you're going, you may see exits on and off the highway, um, but there's just you know not nothing really there. It might be a farm or a state road that leads to another town or what have you, but Anyway, you, you you tend to see th- those are f- are fewer, but almost every exit in, in in town you'll see you know services that cater to that you know travelers along the interstates. And if you think if you've, if you've seen cars, that's that's kind of the what the underlying uh, you know theme is there, where it, it talks about or it's set up where this fictional town off of Route sixty six and. You know, you know, thrived when people were there, and then when the highway came and bypassed that town, you know, those uh, customers were no longer there, and it you know starved the town, and and it kind of withers, you know, to a certain extent. And I was you know, kind of had that in mind as I'm watching these these exits along the you know the Indiana Tollway and the Ohio Turnpike, because what really jumped out at me is instead of having you know rest areas where it had would have you know, restrooms, some, you know, maps, you know, phone, picnic tables, that kind of stuff, you know, where, where truck drivers will stop off and, and sleep if they need to, or, you know, you can stop off and you know, the kids can take their break or whatever. You didn't see those. What you saw were these service areas. And there was one, you know, eastbound, and then there's one westbound, like at that same spot. And so rather than getting off the highway, like you do in just about anywhere else where you can go off into the town and or these services that are you know built right off the highway you just go off to this little service stop and they have um different you know food some food offerings not not a huge variety but you know one might have a burger king the other might have a sbarro or whatever it is and then there's a um you know a gas station and you know restrooms all in this one building one eastbound, one westbound, all kind of in the same spot, or at least you know same spot on the map. But when you do it, you just kind of get off, almost like it's a rest stop. But you you don't um, you know exit the highway because were you to exit the highway, you would be paying a toll. So those just don't exist in and in, in, off in the Indiana you know, tollway in the Ohio Turnpike. And so as you come up to these service stops, the, there would be a sign that says, you know, next services, 26 miles, 56 miles, whatever it was. And it was just really bizarre because I'm thinking, you know, we're not in the middle of of nowhere in Nebraska or in Wyoming or wherever. I mean, we're in, you know, northwest Indiana. You know, we're in, you know, northeast or northwest Ohio, right? I mean, these are you know, areas where people exist. And even though there's a lot of farmland, like you, you, you tend to see it, you would expect to see more than you would somewhere else when it's more sparse out, out west. It was just really peculiar. And then it dawned on me that this is the 
perfect example of what happens when government picks winners and losers. Because rather than having the free market dictate what what the uh, demand is and and servicing people and travelers and truck drivers and services, undoubtedly, you know the you know the government is choosing the winners and losers based on the tolls. They're they're the ones who are collecting the revenue on and off of this highway, and they're the ones who are establishing these these uh, service stops. They're the ones who are giving the contracts to whatever, you know, gas services or food offering or whatever at these service areas. And it was really, really weird because the one thing you saw was prices were higher, you know, not unlike they are at, at the airport, not quite that much, but you know, more than you would see elsewhere and not much of a variety. So you had higher prices, less variety, and you had to stop there. If you, if you wanted to keep going on your, tr- on your way, if you wanted to avoid taking a toll and taking the time to you know, get off the interstate and, and go to whatever town is there, you were very restricted as to what you could and could not do. Your choices were very, very limited. And I thought that perfectly encapsulated that that whole dynamic and it's you know, kind of throws back into my mind when I was a kid you know growing up during the cold war one of the things that freaked me out more than anything hearing stories about the soviet union was the lack of freedom that those people enjoyed you know they didn't have the stuff that we enjoyed in the free markets you know their their you know choices were very very limited to what the government allowed them to have um, and this goofy little examples that I you know, drove past going to Cedar Point in Ohio, on, in Indiana and Ohio, just really reminded me and of that. Um, and just and it it it, it kind of scares me as as you know, we see government intrusion into the marketplace more and more. Um, you know the inflation fears that that come with that, and as we just spend and spend on this, you know, quote unquote uh, infrastructure bill. You know, we're we're up to what six or so trillion in these various spending initiatives that we have. I mean, we don't have that money to spend. I mean, this is stuff that's well above GDP, and we're just spending it. You know, we're just printing money. You know, the inflation fears that come with that are just terrifying for me. You know, we're we're seeing that upward pressure in prices already. I mean, if you're if you go to the store and you buy food or any type of raw materials, gasoline, um, you've noticed in the past eight plus months that those prices are significantly higher than they've been even just a year ago, but certainly in previous years. And and other problems, not the least of which is the labor shortages. And because, uh, and it's going to put, it just put pressure, puts more and more pressure on those at the middle and, and the bottom who can't absorb absorb that, you know, and we have supply chain issues and they're just, it's so problematic, but I don't know. And it, it's, it's just one of those, just the reminder of, of that as we are on this toll. And it's not like there's this toll road. It's not like you had very many easy alternatives, right? I mean, if you wanted to, we could have gone up through Detroit, and gone to I-94, but I mean, that's, you know, 
a few, you know, about a hundred or so miles out of our way, more time. And it just wouldn't have made sense, but you didn't have, you didn't have a viable alternative if you wanted to save time and, and save money. But that's just, that's how it goes when, when the government picks winners and losers. Now, uh, elsewhere, um, a couple of weird things happening over the, the, the past week around the world that just reminds me more and more that you know, our, our world is just on fire. Um, you know, that, you know, that Delta variant is continuing to be used as justification for, at least in theory, to bring back, you know, COVID restrictions. I'm not sure where that's that's going, but, you know, everywhere at least here in the U.S., seems to be slowly but surely returning to normal, getting back to work, and all indications are that schools are going to start as normal in the fall for the most part. But there seems to be this little bit of a caveat, right? Kind of half an eye turned towards, well, maybe we might have to go back to these uh, restrictions. Even if you've been vaccinated, you should wear a mask. And, and there's this this uh, Delta variant out there and just, just continue to, to stoke fear around all of this and really ultimately just to have more control over what we do. And again, I'm, I'm sticking to my, my Gen X fierce individuality and I'm just not going to play that game again. I was the good soldier before I'm you know, not, not going, going to do that again, but there's that, that fear seems that Delta variant fear seems to be and percolating out there, I'm not sure where that's going to go. It'll be interesting to see as we get to the end of the summer and into the fall and cold and flu season, if that's going to rear its head. But uh, but we'll see. Yeah, the CCP continues to not be held accountable for the pandemic. I'm not exactly sure why. Well, I, mean, I think I sure I'm sure why. It could be. They've they've bought and paid for enough power brokers to insulate themselves. But, um, you know, and the lab leak is being scrubbed by the media and tech as kind of, you know, on the kook conspiracy fringe, even though that seems more and more to be the case, even, even if you don't think that it's something that was thrust upon and experimented on their own people in Wuhan. It was just somehow, but even just by incompetence and accident that it got out. If you do that, you will be banned. You will be silenced. Uh, it, it, that um, for reasons I can't grasp, it that just is, they continue to flee and stay away from accountability on this. Hopefully, at some point, they will be held accountable. Now, what that means, I don't know. I'm not advocating for any kind of a hot war or anything. But again, like I said before, the CCP needs to cease to exist. I also saw this past week that uh, China's was caught in satellite photos building at least 100 or plus nuclear silos, which seems to indicate that they are ramping up their efforts in the in, in East Asia to you know strengthen their nuclear capabilities. Now again, just because they build the silos don't doesn't itself mean that they are are stocking them and loading them up. But again, we're talking about a communist regime here, so the last thing I would do would be to trust them or to take them at their word or or assume that they have any kind of good intentions. But there's at least a little bit of saber rattling on the part of China when regards to with regards to Taiwan, you know, they they warned the West to not interfere with with Taiwan and that's I think a big shoe to drop in that region. 
I mean, if if in no small part, the fact that you know Taiwan is such a huge, huge generator of microchips. And we've even seen through the pandemic how you know chip shortages have caused a lot of issue in supply chains. And it's another example of I don't know what in the world baby boomers were thinking, just over leveraging their supply chains in certain regions and com- countries around the world, you know, even if whether it's chips in Taiwan or you know penicillin in in generic drugs in China. Why? I mean, I guess I know why. It's because there's a greed. It's because they could do it cheaper there, and they got their increase in stock price. They got their their annual bonus and and their stock options, and they patted themselves on the back. But the byproduct of that is that we have very unreliable supply chains, and you know, Taiwan's vulnerability kind of magnifies that. Um, even if you don't even consider the humanitarian impact, right? I mean, we've seen what happens in Hong Kong, you know, when that's given back to China, and and we're told, at least on some extent, they would be allowed to remain somewhat democratic, and you know, we saw over the past year, particularly during the initial stages of the outbreak. You know, they they tightened their fist around Hong Kong's throat and just would not let go. Um, but it's 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 scary what what's happening with uh, Taiwan and you know, but they seem to have a very um, amenable uh, president here in the U.S. as far as uh, their efforts go in in Asia. You know, Biden's going to be acquiescing to them. He's not going to going to push back on them. I mean, he's bought and sold. And, and paid for from you know, from China's perspective and Russia's pers- perspective for that matter. And no one, no one cares except us, maybe Gen Xers. I don't know. Lastly, I, I saw this really weird story. I don't really know whole much ab- uh, a whole lot about it, to be honest. But I saw that assassins killed the outgoing president of Haiti, uh, Jean-Tel Moise, Moise or whatever, something like, like that was his name. He's heading out uh, out of office as president. He was assassinated. Um, which is crazy. You think of a, a you know, president of a country being assassinated like that. That's, and no, I don't know who did it or why or anything like that. But just, just knowing that that's a, a country in the uh, you know the Caribbean region, you know, sh- you know between Cuba and Puerto Rico. You know they share that that island with Dominican Republic. I'm I'm curious to find out more as we as we, that story develops. But a certain some something of note. You know, that's not even though Haiti's not the the strongest of economies and not the biggest you know, power broker. It's certainly you know their their strategic positioning next to Cuba and you know their place in the Caribbean is certainly worthwhile to keep an eye on what happens there. So anyway, it's just interesting, crazy stuff going on in the world. You know, the, the you know the world is on fire. It's not just here in in the U.S. I mean, whether it's literal or figurative. Uh, being on fire, but uh, just crazy time to to be alive and you know, to be a you know, an aging uh, you know middle age you know Gen Xer with with uh, with family and kids going to high school and college and all this crap that we have to deal with and things we need to try to protect them from. But such is life and such is our our luck as Gen Xers. You know, I saw a very interesting meme here to to end here with. Uh, you know the the Brady sisters, Marsha, Jan, and and uh, and Cindy. I don't know if you, if you saw this, but they had the three of them, and they had the little 
thought bubbles above him and and you know Marsha was saying I'm so popular and Cindy was saying I'm so cute and Jan just said I hate this family <laughs> and and Marsha was the boomers Cindy was was the millennials and obviously Jan was Gen X and so the boomers saying I'm so popular the millennials saying I'm so cute and Gen X saying I hate this family <laughs> totally summed it up how I feel so often trying to navigate this and and keep my family protected and sane so hope uh, things are going well in your corner of the world as you get back into a little bit of uh, reality get back to your normal routine and uh, hope you stay cool so uh, we'll see you next time shout out to uh, License to ill, and I will see you next time. Till then, stay cool, Jennings.